morning. Uh, let's see, I'm speaking from the book of Isaiah. Uh, some of us, at least, are reading, following the dating, daily readings in the Bible, and we've just finished the book of Isaiah a few, few days back. And I got to thinking about all that, and uh, Isaiah, the book, the book of Isaiah is a magnificent book. As you read, there's so many uh, beautiful scriptures that are that are often quoted. In fact, it's it's often quoted in the New Testament. Jesus quoted from Isaiah quite a bit. But it's uh, just a I think a magnificent book. And uh, the prophet Isaiah was quite a prophet, and so I thought to do kind of an overview on the book with the purpose of um, I think Isaiah other other books of the Bible do this too, but Isaiah kind of unveils a, a broad picture of who God is. And um, I hope we can see that this morning. Describing the character of God and the person of God and the works of God, how God deals with human beings and with nations. So that's kind of what this sermon is about. It's, it's a book composed of poetry and prose and history. There, there are a couple of sections of history uh, Isaiah prophesied during the time of Hezekiah. Hezekiah was a faithful king in a very difficult time in Israel's history because a lot of the people were corrupt. But he made a he made a really good effort at purifying worship and making the country a better place. He was a king, one of the kings of Judah. Uh, I'm reading a quote here. The beauty of Isaiah's po so his poetry, prose, and history is, was how com composes the book. And here's what one Bible scholar said about Isaiah. The, the beauty of Isaiah's poetry is unsurpassed in the Old Testament. It is rich in imagery and wordplay. He also says that one of Isaiah's favorite techniques is per personification, like uh, here's a few examples. Uh, Isaiah wrote that the sun and moon were ashamed. He wrote that the desert and parched land rejoiced, that the mountains and forests burst into songs, song, the trees clapped their hands. And uh, another thing that I did, uh, Isaiah did was he wrote sarcastic, he used, he used sarcasm especially when he was denouncing idols, how foolish it was for man to make an idol and bow down to it. The idol couldn't speak. You had to prop him up or secure him somehow so he wouldn't fall down. How foolish it was uh, to... Was it Isaiah that said that, the, that those who make and worship idols are, are just as foolish as the dumb, the dumb idol itself? He may have said something like that. But anyway... The book is a literary gem, and uh, as I was saying, this is a quote. The book of Isaiah also un unveils a full dimension of God's judgment and his salvation. 
in the book, uh, God is most often called the Holy One of Israel. You'll see that 20, 26 times in, in the book of Isaiah. That was seemed to be Isaiah's favorite term, talking about God. The Holy One of Israel who must punish his rebellious people, but will afterward redeem them, and he would have redeemed them at any given time. In, in their history, both individuals and the nations, if they would just have repent, repented. Let's see, we, we quoted Isaiah, uh, the, the scripture we had in our Sunday school um, there in Matthew was, they, they were quoting from Isaiah, Matthew was, that the people wouldn't hear, they wouldn't see, and that, that was the climate that Isaiah the prophet uh, wrote in and preached in that he he kept giving out the message of God and the people wouldn't hear and they didn't see many didn't well let's think about who Israel is we're talking about the holy God of Israel who is Israel let's re let's review a little history of Israel Israel and Judah uh, starting with Abraham you know this but I'm just going to repeat it just to just to help us to be thinking about how God works. God, God needed a nation. He needed a family. He chose a family. He chose a nation that he would, um, he would show the world what he's like through his dealings with the nation of Israel. And, and it's well documented here in the Bible. So God chose, he wanted to display to the world, he wanted to display to the world uh, his love, his salvation, his judgment, all these things. He chose a family, he chose a nation uh, to display his wonderful love and his great salvation. So he chose Abraham to be the father of his, his chosen people. He led Abraham away from his kindred and his homeland. He led him to fair Canaan, the land of Canaan. And God promised Abraham that this land, right now they're fighting in Israel. Have y'all noticed that? There's a, there's a war has started yesterday in Israel where uh, hundreds dead, um, hostages taken, and Israel has declared all-out war on the, I think the organization is called the Hamas. So that's going on right now. Now I lost my train of thought. So God called Abraham, and he went to Canaan. Didn't didn't actually own any land there except his, I think, the burial place for his wife, Sarah. But he promised Abraham that his descendants, who would be more numerous than the sands of the sea and the stars of the heaven, uh, would own this land. And then after Abraham, there was a son, Isaac, who then had a son, Jacob, who had 12 sons. And God, God arranged that the next to the youngest, Joseph, would be sent down to e Egypt because there was a great famine coming and he would be a savior for the family. <coughs> and um, so Joseph was in dire circumstances, was sent to Egypt. And the, the drought did force uh, the brothers to 
the other brothers to come to Egypt. And you know how that uh, Joseph tested them kind of harshly and sternly, but then later urged them to bring their father and their families to Egypt, and, and he would give them the cream of Egypt. And so they, the, all, the, all of Jacob's family, the Israelites, Jacob's name was changed to Israel, all moved down to Egypt, and years passed, 400 years passed, and the, the families multiplied greatly so that there was a large population of Israelites in Egypt, and the new Pharaoh, who, who didn't remember Joseph, didn't know um, the one who had saved both, actually Joseph had saved Egypt and and his family. So he was, this was fearful to have all these Israelites in the country of Egypt, and the Pharaoh forced them into slavery and really difficult, uh, hard labor. And God heard the cries, their cries of mercy, and he raised up Moses to lead them out of, the, out of Egypt. And you know the story of the plagues and the death angel and the Passover lamb and how God opened up a highway through the middle of the Red Sea, and the Israelites raced across on dry land, and then the water closed over the Egyptian army as they were chasing them. And then Moses led, led them through the wilderness all the way with uh, providing for them in a wonderful way, manna from heaven, angel food, it was described, and quail for their meat, and water out of the rock, and all kinds of provision God gave them. Moses led them right up to the Jordan, and uh, but the people were afraid to go in. It was too looked too difficult. the The cities were too strong, and they rebelled against God and against Moses, and wouldn't go in. And so God sent sent them back into the wilderness. Until all for forty years, until all the rebels died. But then Moses led them right back to the Jordan again. After those forty years, Moses died. God appointed Joshua to be the leader. They crossed the Jordan. They conquered the land, not fully. They didn't fully obey God in the way they did the conquering. And. Um, those who didn't conquer ended up being a thorn to them. But the, then the Israelites in the in the in fair Canaan, they became uh, prosperous and fat and complacent, and they took on the worship of idols of the Canaanites that still lived in the land. And idol worship is a terrible thing. God was greatly. Um, greatly unhappy with that they turned to idol worship. And they also took on the, the sinful practices uh, of the Canaanites as well. And so then was the time of the judges, and it was a time of a vicious cycle. There was sinful living idol worship, and then God would discipline them about, by allowing their enemies to oppress them. They would cry out for mercy, and God would raise up a judge to deliver them. 
And this ha cycle happened again and again in the dark days of the judges. Gideon, Jephthah, Jehu, Barak, along with Deborah, delivered Israel. Other judges, too, delivered Israel. Finally, Samuel was the judge. Maybe he was the best of all. And near the end of Samuel's life, the people begged for a king who would unite them and lead them in battle against the enemies. And reluctantly, Samuel anointed Saul to be king. And, uh, uh, and Saul was a disaster. He, 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 wasn't, he was a spiritual failure. So then Samuel anointed David. And David bided his time, but finally he took the throne after Saul's death. He was a man after God's own heart, and, and God led, uh, David led the nation in revival, and he built a very strong kingdom. Uh, then his son Solomon took it on, and those were the glory days of Israel. A uh, powerful nation, wealthy. Uh, David had been a man after God, God's own heart. Solomon did well at first, but he compromised in the end, and the decline started, and I could say it after that it was quite a decline. After Solomon's death, Rehoboam became king. The ten tribes uh, rebelled against Rehoboam because of his hearth method, methods of leadership, and the, so the kingdom was divided. Two tribes were Judah, and the other the other ten were called Israel. They both had kings, good kings, bad kings, bad kings, good kings. There was a, there, there was up and down as far as the leadership and the way the nation went. But in general, I would say that both kingdoms were in decline spiritually, uh, stray, straying away from God. So the era of the king was also the time of the prophets, Amos, Hosea, Micah, and Isaiah, and others prophesied during this time. And they gave out God's method of judgment. If they would not repent, he, the message of, of restoration and redemption and forgiveness. And um, so the prophets had a powerful voice during that time, but many people still rebelled against God. So now I'm ready to talk about the book of Isaiah. Uh, 66 chapters that display a full spectrum of God's character and his ways and his works. Works. So we're thinking about who is God? How does he work? How does he deal with human beings? Uh, think of a verse in Romans 11, verse 22. Consider, therefore, the kindness and the sternness of God, sternness to those that fail, but kindness to you, provided that you continue in his kindness, otherwise you will be cut off. And if they do not, if they do not, if they, those who, who had felt fallen away, do not persist in unbelief, they will be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. So we see in the book of Isaiah, we see this a spectrum, the spectrum of God's character from his compassion, his kindness, his goodness, his provision, 
all the way to his justice, his wrath, and his punishment. And we see all the other attributes of God, too, his sovereignty, and that he knows everything, and he's all wise. And he has foreknowledge, and he's all-powerful, and he's unchanging, and he's just. I'd like to read uh, some excerpts from chapters 1 and 2. You're welcome to turn there. I'm not reading the full chapters. I'm just reading some excerpts from chapters 1 and 2. And I think it's typical a lot of the book. But notice as I read, as you listen, of, of human beings and how things go with human beings, the bent towards sin, and how God deals with human beings and with nations. Maybe this morning I'm uh, going to be, the emphasis is going to be somewhat on individuals, but God deals with nations this way too, and that's actually the book was written to a nation. Okay, listen, I'll read verses from chapters 1 and 2. Hear me, you heavens. Listen, earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. The ox knows its master, and the doctor, and the donkey its owner's manger. But Israel does not know me. My people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nature, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. There's that favorite name of God. Your whole head is injured. Your whole heart is afflicted. From the sole of your foot to the top of your head is not soundness. Only wounds and welts and open sores, not cleansed and bandaged. Hear the word of the Lord, you, you rulers of Sodom, you people of Gomorrah. Notice how he describes Israel. Sodom and Gomorrah, like Sodom and Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me? They have been, I, I have enough of your burnt offerings. Stop bringing your meaningless offerings. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of them. When you spread your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I'm not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourself clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do what is right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherless and plead the cause of the widow. Come, let us reason together. Let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be crimson, they shall be as wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, did we notice um, how human beings tend to live and how how things tend to go with them? Uh, It talks about God... Uh, choosing children. God created individuals and nations. He cares for them. He calls them his children. 
and then his children stray away. They turn their affections towards idol and fall into sin. And then God disciplines them to bring them to their senses so that, so that they'll turn back to God and repent and be redeemed and forgiven and healed. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, you can become as white as snow. But then some persist, uh, will persist in rebellion, and God declares to them, you will de be devoured by the sword. I, the Lord, have spoken it. I think that's some, somewhat of a picture of how it goes with human beings before a holy God. God creates, <laughs> and he cares, and he nurtures, and he uh, blesses and provides for, for people, everyone. But we have this, we have the sin nature and we, we tend to, we do sin and we stray away from God. And God is always in, uh, he, he discipline, he, he sends out the prophets, someone to speak to us, uh, well, word from the Lord showing us where we're erring. He also disciplines us with an effort to bring us to our senses and bring us back to God. And if we repent, then he, he forgives and he heals and restores and redeems. But if, if one persists in rebellion, defies God in rebellion, then God will bring uh, the uh, harsh punishment. The Bible talks about the wrath of God. Okay, in Isaiah, there are several recurring themes and phrases in this book. I already mentioned that one is the, is the name for God, the Holy One of Israel. Um, shows up 20, at least 26 times in Isaiah. I read only six other times in the Old Testament. Another theme in the book is the uh, judgment, and it's often described as a fire of judgment. I'm not really going to pursue that one this morning. I think it'll show up in uh, some of the verses I read. And then another theme of Isaiah's book is peace. Uh, that shows up time and again uh, in the book. And then there's re restoration and renewal and redemption and forgiveness. And another theme is that there's a highway, a highway back to, to God, back to Jer Jerusalem. God is preparing a highway. And then the most important and prominent theme in the whole book, I think, is that there's a suffering Savior. And I want to show you some verses in the Bible uh, on the theme of peace and how how there is no peace for the sinner and for the wicked, but there is one who makes peace, Jesus Christ. There is, there is one who can bring us to a place of peace with a holy God, and he provides that for us. Okay, we're first considering here. here I'd like to read you some verses. Again, I'll give the reference. They may not be full 
verses. You may want to just listen. You, you can follow in reading if you'd like. Might be difficult because they're not full verses. But here's some verses about using the, that name of God, the Holy One of Israel. Okay. I didn't write this reference down. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, a brood of evil doers, children given to corruption. They have forsaken the Lord. They have spurned the Holy One of Israel. That's a description of people who rebelled against God, and they do this before the Holy One of Israel. Okay, this is Isaiah 6.1. I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne, and the train of his road filled the temple. The seraphim were calling to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the sound of their voices, at the sound of their voices, the doorposts and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. And then uh, Isaiah saw this in a vision, and he said, he cried, Woe is me, I'm undone. And I'm praying this morning that somehow we'll see, (laughs) get a glimpse of what Isaiah saw, uh, the Holy One of Israel, and we'll cry out, Woe is me, I'm undone. And we'll cry out to God, pleading for cleansing, And then we'll cry out, out, uh, here am I, send me. That's what Isaiah said after God had provided the cleansing for him. 10.17, the light of Israel will will become as fire. Their holy one a flame. In a single day it will burn and consume his thorns and his briars. The splendor of his forests and fertile fields will be be completely destroyed. The holy God of Israel, uh, his judgment is like a flame of fire. We're still considering the Holy One of Israel, uh, chapter 10, verses 20 to 23, just parts of verses. In that day, the remnant of Israel will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel, a remnant will return to the mighty God. Yes, the Holy One of Israel does, on the rebellious, does bring the judgment of fire. But he's also the one that redeems and restores and heals. From chapter 29, in that day the deaf will hear. Out of gloom and darkness the blind will see. Once more the humble will rejoice in the Lord. The needy will rejoice in the Holy One of Israel. The Holy One of Israel causes the blind to see, the deaf to hear, brings the humble to a place of rejoicing. Chapter 30. This is what the Holy One of Israel says. Because you have rejected this message, have relied on oppression and depended on deceit, This sin will become for you like a high wall, cracked and bulging, that collapses suddenly in in an instant. It will break into pieces like pottery, shattered so 
mercilessly, not a fragment will be found. This is what the Holy One of Israel says, in re- and here are beautiful verses. In repentance, in repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore, he will rise up and show compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait on him. The Holy One of Israel will bring judgment. The, the tottering wall that, that rebellious people build will crash. All of, but all along, the Holy One of Israel is calling out for repentance and offering restoration. One more verse about the Holy One of Israel. Your maker is your, is your husband. The Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. He is called the God of all the earth. The Lord would call, will call you back as if you were a wife distressed and deserted and distressed in spirit. For a brief moment I abandon you, but deep compassion, with deep compassion I will bring you back. In a surge of anger I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. We live before the Holy One of Israel. Uh, He's always calling us to faith and to repentance and restoration, redemption, and healing. He does that with an everlasting kindness. So we bow in reverence before the Holy One of Israel, Israel, the one who created us, formed us in our mother's womb with tender compassion. Then as after we're born, he nurtures us so that we grow. He gives us gracious provision. And then our sin shows up and shows out. <laughs> uh, and if we wander off into sin, he puts us, puts out roadblocks. He sends a prophet. He disciplines us because he loves us. He offers us a way back. He builds a highway of return for us through Jesus. And if anyone persists in rebellion and sin and will not repent, the Holy One of Israel will bring a fiery judgment in his wrath. But it's not God's will that any would perish. And the suffering servant has made a way for us to be forgiven, restored, and healed. Now let's turn to the theme of peace in this amazing book. The, the Hebrew word is shalom. Doesn't it just sound like peace? Shalom. It means rest, health, safety, prosperity, favor. Being holy, well, perfect peace. I found that scholars say Isaiah is divided into four distinct sections, and each section ends with a verse about peace. I don't know if I don't know if Isaiah planned it that way, or if the, those who did the chapter dividing planned it that way, but it's there. 
Okay, here's one of those verses at the end of the first section. of the, This is about the first half of the book, chapter 39, verse 8. This is about Hezekiah. Hezekiah said to Isaiah, well, I should give a little history here. You, you probably remember it, that Hezekiah had become sick. And uh, he, was, he was about to die, I think, is the way I remember the story. And remember, Hezekiah was a faithful king, but then the Lord healed him, and the Lord gave him a sign that that the sundial would be uh, go shadow on the sundial would go back ten steps as a sign that he was going to be healed. I don't know if God stopped the sun or the earth or what He did, but or or, or backed them up. But anyway, he was healed. Uh, the king of Babylon heard about the sickness, and he sent an envoy of get-well gifts and wanted to wish him well. And without good judgment, Hezekiah showed the Babylonians all the wealth of the kingdom. And it wasn't a wise thing to do. God was displeased. He sent Isaiah to, to Hezekiah. And... The prophet told him, all the treasure stored up by your ancestors until now will be carried off by the Babylonians. Nothing nothing will be left. Your sons will be taken into ex- exile. And then Isaiah said this. No, he, thought, he said to Isaiah, this message you have given me from the Lord is good. And here's what he was thinking. At least there will be peace and security in my lifetime. And so Isaiah, Hezekiah was uh, grateful for the peace in his lifetime. It kind of, <clears throat> seemed like it was kind of foresighted, short-sighted, I mean. Okay, after the next section, the end of chapter 48, is this verse. Sing out this message. Shout to the ends of the earth. The Lord has redeemed his servants, but there is no Peace for the wicked, says the Lord. No peace for the wicked. Okay. End of the next section. uh, End of Isaiah 57. The high and lofty one who lives in eternity says this. Rebuild the road, clear away the rocks and the stones, so that my people may return from captivity. I restore the crushed spirit of the humble and revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. I will not always be angry. I was angry. I have punished, but now I will heal. I will lead them. I will comfort those who mourn. May they have abundant peace both far and near, says the Lord who heals them. But those who reject me are like the restless sea which is never still, but continually churns up mud and dirt. There is no peace for the wicked. There we have the phrase again, there is no peace for the wicked. But it says to the repentant, these verses say, may they have abundant peace both far and near, near, says the Lord who heals them. And then in, in Isaiah 66, the last book, last chapter, God says, I will extend peace to her, Israel, like a river. This is the peace for the repentant and the faithful. 
But then, then the book closes with this awful verse. This is talking about the, the new heaven, the new earth, and people are returning, the faithful are returning to the new Jerusalem. And the last verse says, They will go out and see the dead bodies of those who have rebelled against me, for the worm that devours them will never die, and the fire that burns them will never go out. All who pass by will view them with utter horror. Jesus quotes these verses in the book of Mark. Where he said, anyone who gives a cup of water in my name will have the reward. Uh, he also says, if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to stumble, they will be judged thrown into hell where the worm that eats them does not die and the fire is not quenched. And that's the way the book ends, with that awful verse. So we have the question for us. How can we have peace with God? How can we have peace with the Holy One of God? Israel, seeing that we are sinners, and I hope and pray none of us are living in rebellion, there would be that possibility for us to wander off into sin and then into rebellion. But how can we have peace with God? How can we avoid the awful wrath and fiery judgment of God? And here's the answer. The suffering servant brings us peace. And I'd like to read from Isaiah 52 into, into chapter 53. Peace with God. Avoiding the wrath of God and eternal, eternal punishment. Reading from Isaiah 52, verse 11. And this is all about Jesus. Just meditate and worship as I read. See my servant. This is Jesus. My servant Jesus will act wisely. He'll be raised and lifted up, highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him. His appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being. His form marred beyond human likeness. So he will sprinkle many nations. The kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see. And what they have not heard, they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? He, this is, this is about Jesus, he grew up before him, before his father, like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised, and we held him in low esteem. 
Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And this is the verse. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his wounds we were healed. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us turned to our own way, and the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before his shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgressors, for the transgression of my people, he was punished. He was assigned to the grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. Though he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And lo, the Lord makes his life an offering. And though the Lord makes his offering, his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many. He will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sins of many and made transgression for the transgressors. I'm sorry, and made intercession for the transgressors. If we ever wonder, um, how serious is sin, or how serious is a sinful life, or how serious is a rebellious life, let's consider two things. One, consider how Jesus suffered so that our sins can be forgiven. Consider the great sacrifice the love of Jesus and his great sacrifice um, so that our sins can be forgiven. The love of our Heavenly Father who gave a great sacrifice. I believe he suffered as his son died. If, we ever, if we're ever wondering if sin is a problem, think about two things. One is consider the suffering servant. Also consider the wrath of God. It falls on those who don't repent. The awful description there in Isaiah of the suffering of those who don't repent. I say thank God for the suffering servant who is, gives us peace with the holy God.